Let's continue our time of worship through the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And he writes, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power, to me, the very last of all, or least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is in the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we are anticipating what your word would speak to us this morning. Give our hearts a yearning to know you more. Let us focus on and exalt Christ as King in our hearts and our lives. Let the words that are spoken and preached today by Matt pierce the very nature of who we are. And let us yearn to know you more. Let us yearn to be more like your Son. Let us continue our time of worship through the proclamation of your word. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. The gospel is full of power. Power to change the world. As I dismiss our kids to their classes today, I would like for you to open up back to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 that Pastor Bruce just read from. We have moved from chapter 2 and into chapter 3. We're going to finish up this Made Worthy during the month of May. And as, excuse me, as you are flipping there, I would love for you also to Put your finger there or mark it in some way, shape, or form because we are going to actually start off this morning in the book of Romans. So I want you to flip back a couple of books to the book of Romans chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 16 and 17 to get our morning started. And here's what it says in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I want you to imagine this scene. As, as Paul is writing this, as Paul is sitting in Rome, a sophisticated, knowledgeable city. He's preaching about a wandering carpenter from Galilee. He's talking about this wandering carpenter from Galilee who was executed by the Roman government because his own Jewish people had rejected him. This man is God. This is what Paul is telling them. And he came humbly to sacrifice himself for your sins, the sins that you have committed against the one and only true God. Imagine you're in Rome that has a plethora of gods. And he says, no, you have sinned against the one and only true God. And this Galilean carpenter had come from heaven to earth to die for your sins. For many who would hear this, it wouldn't click. For many who would hear it, it sounded like crazy talk. It sounded strange. And those who would preach it, those who would share that message, they might be ashamed of it. They might even be embarrassed. They might even start apologizing because it didn't make sense to them. It might just sound a little bit crazy, but not to Paul. Not to Paul. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he emphasized that word, everyone, by finishing off that statement saying, first to the Jew and also to the Greek also to the pagan, also to the Gentile. The gospel is powerful, not because it talks about the power of God for salvation, it's because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. God our Father is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful, and that power is encapsulated in the gospel. To do as we have seen in the book of Ephesians so far, if you've been with us since we started back in March, we've seen the things that the power of the gospel does to change us. First, it takes the dead heart, and it makes it alive. Now, sometimes I don't think we fully grasp that, but I had it come to my clarity on Friday night. Friday night, if many of you know, I'm a chaplain with the Rio Rancho Police Department, and I got a call for a DOA, which is a dead on arrival. And a lady had passed away that had been battling pancreatic cancer for four and a half years. And um, I walked into the house, and the whole family was gathered around. One of the things about uh, the procedures that take place is that if a person's on hospice, the OMI, or the Office of the Medical Investigator, does not take the body away. They leave it until a funeral home comes and gets it instead, until hospice has cleared it. So I walk into this house, and there is a lady laying there who is no longer alive. She is dead. And the people are sitting around her. They're talking over her. They're talking to her. Uh, her therapy dog is laying on her lap. They kept trying to get the dog to, to get off of her, but... You know, the dogs have feelings too, and it kept going back and going back. And I just sat there, and I, I was looking at her, and, and I was preparing to pray with the family. And her, her mouth had done kind of a weird thing where it almost looked like she was smiling. And they're like, oh, look, she's smiling at us. And I'm like, I'm just going to not say what I'm thinking. And that is the fact that she is not smiling at you. She is not here. She is dead. There is no response from a dead person. 
It is unresponsive. It is unable to do anything. They're not asking for help. They are dead. Well, when we take that same picture and we put it on the fact that we are dead in our sins, that we are not asking for help, that God made us alive, that is the power of the gospel. The next thing we saw in there is that the power of the gospel showers us with all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. The power of the gospel has made us holy and has made us blameless. The power of God of the gospel has taken us and adopted us and, and turned us from our mess into our masterpiece. Let me share with you another story because last Friday, Christy and I were preparing to go on our 25th wedding anniversary trip. We were just going to go do something simple and go up to Durango. And we get a phone call on Friday afternoon. And on Friday afternoon, it was uh, the Rio Grande Down Syndrome Network. And if you know us, we have four children with Down Syndrome who uh, we have connected well with the Rio Grande Down Syndrome Network. The Down Syndrome Network called us and said, hey, um, we know you guys have a heart for kids with Down Syndrome. Well, CYFD had just called and said, we've taken in a child with Down Syndrome uh, due to neglect and a bunch of other things, and we need a placement for them, and, and nobody is willing to take her. It's a nine-year-old girl, uh, nonverbal, still wearing diapers, all, all the things that, that kind of came along with it. And um, Christy calls me and says, hey, uh, just want to let you know, this is the situation. And I said, okay, let's do it. And she already had already said that in her own mind, and I was just going along for the ride by that point in time. And um, we said, we're still going to go on our trip, so on Tuesday when we get back, we will we'll do all the, the necessary things. Well, Tuesday came, uh, we went, uh, we did our home study, our really fast emergency home study, and by Tuesday night, we had a new child in our house. And um, this is that picture. Because when she came to us, she was wearing ratty clothes, holes in it, much too big, a, a diaper that had been soiled, really hadn't taken a, a bath or a shower in, in quite a while. Uh, and, and you could tell. We'll just, we'll just put it that way. And Christy brought her in, held her close, took her into the, into the bathroom, gave her a bath, something that obviously she hadn't had again in a while, cleaned her up, went to Walmart, bought her new clothes, got all the things, because all the things they had sent her with didn't fit her or, or didn't, they were long-sleeved and it was hot out, all kinds of stuff. But Christy went and did all of these things to, to make sure she was taken care of and, and she was accepted into our family. Now, it kind of threw our family a little bit for a loop. Our kids are very much routine and everything was thrown out of the routine. But the transition began to take place and even by yesterday, things were going so great and, and this little girl was just smiling and laughing because that first night she didn't even want to sleep and, and she just, she, she couldn't grasp all the things that were going on. And as I began to, to look at that and look at this picture, the power of the gospel has adopted us and taken us from that stinky, soiled, not having a clue what was going on, wearing the ratty clothes. As a matter of fact, Isaiah talks about the fact that our good deeds are like filthy rags. Made me think about that picture. And the power of the gospel took us from that and cleaned us up, and God embraced us and brought us 
into his family. That is the power of the gospel that we've seen. To redeem us or purchase us by the blood of Christ. To to forgive us of our sins and all the things that we've done against him, even while we were still sinners, even though we were still his enemy. Opened our blind eyes so that we could see his will. Gave us spiritual understanding. He received the mystery. And he passed it on to us by opening our eyes. That is the power of the gospel. He displayed the power of the gospel all by his grace. By grace, we've been saved. The power of gospel has broken down the walls that have separated us both from each other and from God. The power of the gospel has, as Dave talked about last week, made us the church. The power of the gospel put the cornerstone of Jesus Christ in place in the foundation of the apostles. As we build up on that, that is the power of the gospel. And that power of the gospel, like that video said, has the power to change the world. And here's the great thing. You and I hold the power of that gospel in our hearts and in our minds. We have that power. And like Paul says, we should not be ashamed to share it with a world that is in desperate need to hear it. In desperate need that is sitting in their own filth. That is how we will change the world. Our, our, our uh, statement and model that we use is come as you are, be changed, go change the world. Well, the go change the world isn't on us. It is in the power of the gospel as we go out. And we take it to people who need to hear it. But here's the problem. Paul may not have been ashamed to share it, but look where he ended up. Where is he writing this letter to the church at Ephesus from? Prison. He's writing it from prison. And he's actually on his way to eventually being beheaded. He may not be ashamed of the gospel, but Paul, seriously, is this gospel willing, are we willing to go so far to live and give your life for it? Is that the gospel? the trials and the troubles that are going to come along with it. Is that the gospel that we want to take out? Why does it have the power to save us from those things? Well, that's a great question. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 today. And while Pastor Bruce read the first 13 verses of it, we're only going to read the first six today and do the next ones next week because there's just so much in it. So if you have your Bibles again, I want to read again as we go. It's Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word you've given to us. Thank you for the way you preserved it so we can still even read it today. And I pray, God, that it challenges us. It challenges us in a way that you have to speak to our hearts. No matter where we are in our faith journey, God, help us take that next step that we need to take. We pray it in your name. Amen. So our passage opens with these three words. For this reason. 
For this reason, and why he says for this reason, it's like the word therefore or any of those other things, he's tying it back to what he's already talked about. The last couple of weeks we have talked about uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22, which is really breaking down the, the idea of, first of all, who we were, aliens and foreigners, to what Christ has done. He has reconciled us to God and reconciled us to each other, to who we are now, as Dave talked about last week, members of his church. For this reason, he says, because of all that God has done, I bow my knee and I pray for you. Now, you might be thinking, it didn't say anything about bowing your knee and praying for you in the verses that we just read. Where did you get that from? Well, we actually get that from verse 14. We didn't get to verse 14 because Paul has a bit of an ADD problem. Because Paul, this is one way I can definitely relate, and my guess is that you can too. In the midst of getting ready to pray, his mind starts to go someplace else. In the midst of a story, he gets excited about another story within that story and goes kind of on a rabbit trail. Takes off down that rabbit hole and doesn't know how far he's going to go. It actually takes him 13 verses to get back to it. And that little rabbit trail that we see here is the one we're going to dive into. During this thought, he has something click that he says, this is something important that I need to share with you. And if it were me, if I were Paul, this is what would have made it click. This next statement that he makes takes him in a different direction because as he's saying it, I think he heard the clank of the chains on his wrist as he's in prison, and it makes him immediately think. He says these words, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He's making this statement, and as he's making it, I'm hearing that that noise. And that noise of the clink makes him go back to this. Two things came to mind. One, this is why I do what I do. He had an answer for every what that came in his way, because he knew the why. It's like that every battle you've already won song. We know the why, so it helps us get through the what. But the second thing I think, as he heard that, his mind went to the fact that he's encouraging new believers, new followers in Christ that just don't quite understand. He said, let me encourage you that my imprisonment is not a bad thing. Don't worry about me. As a matter of fact, don't even not worry about me. I want you to keep the right perspective. As we're coming off of May the 4th, I will use a Star Wars quote here, and that is, stay on target. We have to stay on target. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get pulled away. But Paul is saying, keep our perspective. Paul is showing them and telling them this thing. We have to keep our worldview God-centered and not circumstance-centered. Let me say that again. We have to keep our worldview God-centered and not circumstance-centered. Because it's so easy for us to get lost in circumstances and forget that God, A, has already won and that He is at work. And it's a beautiful picture as we see it. Now you might be thinking... Verse 1 is Paul saying, For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I'm doing on behalf of you. How do I get all of what I just told you from verse 1? How do I get that perspective thing? Well, because it says, 
I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What could he have said? Because here's my guess of what he could have said. I'm a prisoner here in stinking Rome, locked up to an imperial guard, all because a bunch of Jews didn't like the way that I was reaching out to the Gentiles. He could have written that, and you know what? He would have been 100% right. But he did not. He said, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul said that because he wanted to keep a proper perspective. We have to remember that as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was in the city of Rome under house arrest. Now, under house arrest wasn't a, a terrible thing. At least it could have been worse. Because where he was, he was actually in the household of Caesar, chained to an imperial guard, and that imperial guard would rotate, so we'd constantly have new guards that he was locked to, that were watching over him. But what would soon happen is he'd be moved to a gross dungeon-like cell, not like a prison that we have today with three hots and a cot kind of mentality. This is, I'm sitting in a dark hole with a candle, and that's all I've got going on. And he's writing this stuff down, and he realizes when he gets to that hole, the next thing that's going to happen is his head's coming off from a Roman executioner. And that's exactly what did happen. Rome was holding him. And the reason why he was there in the first place is because religious Jews had extreme hatred for Gentiles. They had extreme hatred for Gentiles. That's what we talked about even a couple of weeks ago, if you remember that. We talked about all the the tension that was there, and while Paul was writing that there's a, now a wall broken down, and these are connected, how difficult that would have been. The bulk of the story we see, even as he's writing, is found in Acts 19 through 24, and I would challenge you to read that if you get a chance to. But, if you really want to focus on this story, look at the last half of 21 of Acts, and 22 of Acts. And that's how it really plays itself out. But let me just give you a very limited review of it. Paul had just gotten back from his third missionary journey that he'd gone on. And as he got back, he went to the temple to fulfill some vows that he'd made while he was away. While in the temple, some religious Jews recognized Paul. And as they recognized him, they accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple. Even though they had already gone through all the purification processes that were necessary, they went into an area they weren't allowed to go into because they weren't fully Jewish. And so when they did that, they saw Paul, they started getting everybody into a frenzy. People began to lose their mind. We don't see this anymore, okay, by the way. This is all Old Testament uh, and and biblical era time stuff where people get into a frenzy about stuff because they don't really think through things. They just get that crab mentality. I know we don't see it. So I'm trying to explain it to you as best as I possibly can. People began to lose their mind and they began to attack Paul. They began to literally beat him and they were going to drag him out of the temple and kill him. This is how much of a frenzy it all had gotten into. Now the thing is, there's a Roman commander that saw what was going on. He went down to check out what was everything that was taking place. And he actually arrested Paul for his own safety. He arrested Paul for his own safety and his own protection. He took Paul out. And when I say they took Paul out, they actually had to carry him out because people were still trying to beat him as they were taking him out. So they were like all up on the shoulder, got him up above the crowd, trying to do these things because people are trying to, they're just losing their absolute minds. And this is the story on how it's going down and the crowd's all going crazy. Paul gets to the top of the stairs and he says, hey, can I talk to them in my own defense? 
And the commander's like, hey, do you know Greek? Can you do it? He goes, better than that, I'm going to do it in Aramaic. And so he starts speaking Aramaic. Well, that Aramaic gets the crowd to shh. And everybody gets real quiet. Leans in and starts listening. He starts telling them his testimony about that time, if you know anything about Paul, when he was Saul and he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus knocks him off his high horse. And Jesus extends that grace, the power of the gospel to him. And he begins to speak into his life and he says, guys, y'all, I did not like the followers of the way either. But God, we've seen that but God so many different ways. But God came in and he spoke into my life and the power of God changed my life. And he gave me some instructions. And everybody's sitting there listening. He says this in Acts chapter 22, verse 21. Go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, everybody was real nice and quiet until he said the word Gentiles. And they all lose their mind again. Everybody starts going nuts and going crazy. And the, the Roman um, you know, leader, commander, he grabs him. He says, hey, we got to throw you in prison for now. Just keep you safe. So he went to prison and he waits a hearing. Well, while in prison, the Jews are plotting to kill him. They're trying to figure out a way. Well, coincidentally, because God is who God is, people overhear that plan and they decide, hey, we're going to move you out of Jerusalem and we're going to move you into Caesarea because you'll be safe there. Well, not exactly, because there's still Jews in Caesarea that also want to kill him. And he got moved around, and Jews continued to accuse him. He ended up being in prison for two years. For doing what? Nothing. Can I ask you a question? If you ended up in prison for two years and doing absolutely nothing, how would you respond? How would you respond? Anger, frustration. How, God, could you let this happen? I'm supposed to be working for you. And this is how you have me. But he kept it all in perspective. Paul wanted to make sure that the Ephesians didn't get discouraged by all that Paul was going through. He wanted to share with them. He wanted to share with them from that God-centered perspective to seeing that God was at work and that God was working in him and through him on behalf of the Gentiles. The truth is, Paul saw the sovereignty of God in all that was happening. He saw that God was in control, and I'm not sure about you, but can you look back on the trials that you've had in your life and be able to look 2020 hindsight and see that God was at work? Can you see how God was working in your life? Can you see that some of the plans you may have made fell through and they didn't go the way you wanted them to actually serve the purpose of God's glory? That's why Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. This wasn't Paul's first rodeo. He'd been to prison before. He knew that any time God wanted him out, he'd be out. He knew that. Why do I know? Well, because Acts chapter 16, maybe you remember this story, but Paul was in prison with Silas. And they were in prison again for something pretty lame. They had actually healed a servant girl who had been demon-possessed or spirit-possessed who was speaking and chasing them around, saying all kinds of things. Finally, they're like, demon, get out! And the girl, oh, hey, everything's good. But the guy who owned her wasn't happy because he, she made him money and now wasn't going to be able to. So they ended up getting arrested for that. Well, how do they respond when they're in prison? If you remember, they're singing psalms and spiritual hymns. And praising God at midnight. And all of a sudden this massive earthquake happens. 
And this massive earthquake shakes the doors open, shakes the chains off their wrist. Well, as that happens, they had all the freedom to walk out. And the jailer who was over them was like, oh, if they escape, I'm dead anyway. I'm going to fall on my sword. So he puts the sword down, gets ready to fall on it to die. Paul's like, wait, 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 wait. Nobody's gone. We're all still here. No worries. And the jailer's like, well, what do you mean? What's going on here? Literally a door opened in the middle of that trial to share with the Gentile jailer and his household and himself experience the power of the gospel. And their worlds change. God was at work. Paul knew that. Paul saw that. He knew from experience that nothing catches God by surprise. I mean, it's that, the words of that song that, that Kyle led us in, the new one. He said, hey, there's nothing that's going to come my way that I can't overcome because you have overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. Isn't that great words? I say that all the time. God, I don't have any idea what you're doing right now, but I know what you've done, so I'm going to trust you. That's the way our lives work. Paul knew that God would carry out his plan according to his will. And Paul wanted to be at the center of that will. So he said, God, you do what you've got to do, and I am along for the ride. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Paul knew that's why he refers to himself not just as a prisoner of Christ in this passage, but multiple times as a servant or a slave to Christ. He knew who he was and he knew whose he was. And if God wanted to be in prison right here and right now, so be it, let God do his thing. And again, I'll just be along for the ride. Here's the thing I thought about this week. Honestly, if Paul had not been in prison, he would have been free to go to Philippi and go to Colossae, and go to Ephesus, and go to the area of Galatia. And he could have spoke directly to those churches. You know what he wouldn't have done? He wouldn't have written it down. You know what we wouldn't have if he hadn't written it down? Four very important, impressive theological books in our Bible. God had a plan even then. I'm sure Paul wasn't like, well, I know 2,000 years from now, this is all going to work out. That was not what he was thinking. But that's what God was thinking. He knew and he had a plan. But even on the flip side of that, if you read that book of Philippians, you will see that Paul mentions that many in Caesar's household actually become believers. Because guess what? They're locked in with him. And many of those guards who have been chained to him, they are literally a captive audience. He has nothing but time to share the power of the gospel. And many of them come to know Jesus as well. Paul says, I'm in prison on behalf of, or some of your translations might say, for the sake of the Gentiles. Yeah, first and foremost, it was because of the Gentiles that the Jews hated him and threw him into prison. But it was also used by God to get the gospel message out. And the truth of God went to the Gentiles. See, here's the cool thing. Chains can't contain the power of the gospel. And we see all over the world that very thing play out. The countries that have the strongest laws against Christianity are the ones where you see the power of the gospel on full display. Places like China, Iran, North Korea, Iraq. All of those places are places that Christianity is spreading like wildfire. And it's not because people are doing 
specific things. No, it's because of the power of the gospel working through people. It's not because they had the coolest buildings. It's not because they had a great light set up or a band. Those are all things, are all fine, but that is not where the power is found. It's found in the power of the gospel. And I will tell you right now, that is enough. The gospel is enough. The power of God for salvation. Not anything else. No matter our worldly circumstance, if we keep our focus where it needs to be on God, we'll experience that power and we'll see the perspective and we'll keep our heads in the right place. And Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus this. Guys, that's just the first verse. That's the reason why I couldn't do all 13 today. Because that, as we look at it, here's what verse 2 says. Assuming that you have heard about the administration of God's grace that He gave me for you, The mystery, verse 3, was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Why was Paul not defeated in prison? Why was he not dejected? Why was he not angry with God? Because he had a job and he knew it. Verse 2 says, Assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. Paul recognized it, and he hoped the Ephesians had recognized it too, that Paul was given a responsibility. He was made what we call an administrator. Some of you guys have an administrators at work. Some of you are administrators at work. Or a biblical term that we like to hear is the word steward. It's somebody who dispenses or gives out something of the master's, of the big boss. What the master's direction says, I want you to take control of this and give this out. Well, what was Paul given? He was given grace. And who was it for? Who was he dispensing it to? Not just for himself, but those that he was writing to. Those who were in the church. Those who were both Jews and and Gentiles, or what we've seen here, this word that he keeps using, the mystery. The mystery. How did Paul get this responsibility of being a steward or administrator of grace? Well, verse 3 tells us this. By revelation. You know what that means? That God specifically gave it to him. It came from God. God revealed this to him on that same road to Damascus that he shared his testimony that got everybody listening and listening in. Christ Jesus revealed to himself revealed himself to then Saul and extended grace to the one who was persecuting him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know who you are, Lord. And he extends that grace. And that grace resulted in Paul's salvation. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul actually introduces himself this way. As an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I am who I am because of Jesus. Jesus has given it to me, and we already saw that now he wants it to take it out. And what he wanted to take out, well, his mission was taking that gospel of grace to the Gentiles. And the cool thing is, is God didn't just throw him out there. He trained him. He actually went away, as it says in Galatians 1, 17 and 18, he took him to Arabia to, to really literally raise him up and teach him these things. God had a plan for Paul. Paul was saved by grace and then became an administrator of that same grace. He became a steward of that same grace. And just by a side note, I want you guys to understand this. We're no different than Paul. 
If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been saved by grace through faith, then you too have been entrusted with stewardship of God's grace. And you were supposed to be dispensing that by serving Him with the gifts He's given to you. Then we come to verse 4. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations that is now revealed to His apostles and His prophets by the Spirit. You've got to love the word mystery here. I don't know about you guys, but I love a good mystery. I, I love watching the TV shows like an Unsolved Mysteries or the crime ones where you have to wait to the very end to figure out who actually did it because there's no way they're going to tell you up front because they know you're going to turn it off if you find out that quick. They drag you out. Shows like Elementary or movies like Sherlock Holmes or The Mentalist or Unsolved Mysteries or even Scooby-Doo. I mean, I loved Scooby-Doo as a kid, but you know what I hated when I watched Scooby-Doo is when they'd have a special guest star. Because you know why? And if you grew up watching Scooby-Doo, you know exactly why. It'd always be a to-be-continued. It was always you have to wait again until tomorrow because we didn't have the ability to binge. We had to actually turn into Channel 5, watch it at that time, and then watch it again the same time tomorrow. And Mom would be like, hey, we got to go. No, 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 no. I got to catch the end of Scooby-Doo. The Harlem Globetrotters are on, and therefore it's going to be... Because you want to see how it all plays out. You want that mystery revealed. And it all shows and it hooks us in that way. Well, Paul is talking about a mystery here that we should understand. What is it that has been revealed according to verse 5 that the former generations didn't get? What was given to Paul to steward to the believers that were listening in this letter? He's already said it in previous verses. He talks about it in 11 through 22 of chapter 2. But he's going to say it again here in verse 6. That the Jews and the Gentiles are united in Christ. That was a mystery. The Gentiles are part of God's plan, included in His place of salvation, and would be added to God's household. They would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to take it even a step further, he explains it also to Coloss- the, the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious, we- the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the mystery revealed, that Christ comes to dwell in people's hearts, giving them immediate presence of God and a future hope. That is the mystery. And the Gentiles are included in that. Paul here goes into detail on how it's revealed because God's people of the Old Testament, when he would speak to the people of the Old Testament, he would use a prophet. And that prophet would teach them. But the prophet didn't fully understand this whole mystery. Now they knew, the prophets knew, that Israel would one day bless all the nations. But they did not know how. And in God's perfect time, and His perfect way, He revealed it to the apostles and the prophets who walked with Christ and followed after Christ to reveal the Gentile, to the Gentiles, the power of the gospel. That's, that's what we see here. And that's why he lays out in verse 6 these words, something he's already said multiple times, but we'll say it again. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Sometimes you just need to hear it again, don't you? I've told you this before, but if you're a parent, you know you have to say it more than once. Especially for the kid in the back. The one that's not quite paying attention, he says, listen, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This isn't the old system. 
See, the old system said if a Gentile wanted to become a religious convert, wanted to become a religious Jew, he had to go through all these rituals, but still didn't quite have all of the privileges of full participation. Paul says, that's out. Because in Christ, we are made into one body in his headship. He says that. He says we are co-heirs together, meaning we are adopted into the same family and have all the same privileges and have all the same rights. We are heirs of salvation and inheritance of the kingdom. Then he says we're members of one body together, all working together in Christ as Christ is the head. Now here's the funny thing here. I'm not any sort of scholar in any way, shape, or form, but all the commentaries I've read said he actually used a word that had never been used in Greek literature to talk about this members. And it's actually co-body. That's what the word meant. To really emphasize the point that we are together in all of this. Not Jews and Gentiles. Not separated by all the different things. You know, it's not you are a blank Christian, you are a Christian. It's one of my struggles I've always had. Even in, uh, in America. How we always put something in front of it. That, that you are a blank American. No, we are Americans. Let's not divide ourselves. And the same thing happens in the church. We, we try and say, well, I'm this type. No, we are not. There's plenty of division because we have how many different denominations. We need to throw that aside. and we are followers of Christ. That is it. That is where our unity comes from. We're co-heirs. We're members of one body and we are partners in the promise. We talked about it. For the last two weeks, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. We are no longer foreigners. We are co-heirs, members, and partners. And how does it happen? He says it in the last part of that verse. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. I told you up front, there's power in the gospel. The gospel, if it is preached and believed as God intended, is the way we come to Christ. It is the way we end up in Christ. The gospel is the only means of deep spiritual unity between people. It's the only way to tear down the walls between us and become one in Christ. Now the next question is, is, well, great. That mystery was revealed. Now what do we do with it? The answer, come back on Mother's Day. (laughs) Until then, I know, Scooby-Doo. That's right. I just Scooby-Doo just. There you go. Until then, My challenge to you is this. Remember the power of the gospel and don't be ashamed of it. Don't apologize for it. Share it with people who need to hear it. Keep your eyes fixed on him and keep perspective no matter the trial you might be facing. Have the answer of why every time a what comes your way. Rejoice in the fact that you are in Christ and if you are not in Christ, let's talk today. Let's pray together. Father, We are grateful for who you are. And we're grateful for the gospel of salvation that is found in Christ through the gospel. May you have all the honor and may you have all the glory today. As we look at your word and we see this mystery revealed, God, I'm I'm thankful that I live when I do because I get to see your gospel doing the amazing things in people's lives, in people's hearts, and the the families they are within. That you get the glory. There's nothing that we have done. God, we pray that even today, as we look at this, we are not ashamed of that gospel. That people, even, 
even if we think it might sound strange to them, they need to hear it. They need to hear about how their sins have offended you. And they need to be forgiven of it. And there's only one way to have that. And that is through your son, Jesus Christ. God, for those in here that know it, give them the strength to share it. For those in here that don't, give them the strength to stand and come to you and repent of their sins and turn from their sins. We pray it in your name. Amen.